All right. So this week's episode, we actually recorded um, on Wednesday, just after we found out about the passing of Terry Funk. And so our topic, our main topic for this week is actually a tribute to uh, Terry Funk, which we'll get to in a little bit. But as of tonight, it is Thursday. Um, I'm sure we're all aware at this point that uh, we lost Bray Wyatt. And we thought it was appropriate for us to at least say something about it on this week's episode, um, even though that one's already in the can and, and ready to upload. And then next week, we are going to do a full episode um, about Bray. Uh, we're going to cover his career, some highlights and things like that. Um, but for this week, we kind of just wanted to get our initial just thoughts and reactions and things um, unfortunately we couldn't get a hold of Alec. Uh, he's busy tonight. So it's just me and Andrew, but I, uh, I'm gutted like to say the least. Um, Bray wasn't like a favorite wrestler of mine or anything, but it's just so shocking. And uh, I don't know. I mean, like losing Brody a few years ago was pretty shocking. But this feels worse, and I don't know why. And I'm not saying that to, like, um, shit on Brody Lee's legacy by any means, but somehow this one hits harder. I think it feels worse because it's another one. I mean, the the whole situation's incredibly shocking, and it's incredibly shocking that it's something that's happening again in this generation. You know, there, and of course none of this has to do with pro wrestling. Really. It just so happens to be affecting the pro wrestling world. Both instances that we're referring to in this time of, of wrestlers passing away very young is just completely from health issues that could affect any of us. So right. Got it's, nothing to do with the kind of things that we saw when we were a lot younger in the, the nineties and the early two thousands mm-hmm. where it felt like they were dropping like flies because of things that happened within that community. But I mean, this is just completely random. You know, the thought that was going through my head today was this is like, this era's Eddie Guerrero, right? Because when Eddie died, and I think Eddie was, uh, Andrew, if you want to double check his age, I think he was only like 35 or 36 when he passed. He was somewhere in that range. And Eddie, we all already knew Eddie was a very special talent and he was going to be a Hall of Famer, right? Before he passed away. And, and I feel like Bray's the same thing. Right. Bray hit that point of Bray could have left when he did and never come back. And he still probably would have been a Hall of Famer down the road, um, regardless of him passing away or not. And I don't know. To me, this really feels like I don't want to say our generation's Eddie Guerrero because Eddie was in our generation, too. But this era's him and Brody, it's kind of like this, this era's Benoit and Eddie 
other than obviously all the bad things with Benoit, you know. But just that two names of that caliber left us so early. Yeah, in terms of the the shock of it happening and the way that it it happened and just kind Mm -hmm. of shaking the wrestling world. I mean, you have two incredibly talented stars that went too soon. And it, it is really crazy to think about the fact that there's only one member of the Wyatt family still around. And that felt like something that, I mean, it feels very fresh on the mind. I mean, it's not like we're talking Mm -hmm. about, you know, a faction from the nineties or right. It's um, like if (laughs) it feels like they were just here. It's like, if we only had one member of the shield left, we'd, we'd all be like, what the fuck happened? Yeah, and I know earlier, I mean, you said that Bray wasn't necessarily one of your favorites, but personally, he was one of mine. He was, uh, of the new generation, I don't necessarily need to quantify it, but he was one of the very few guys that I was like, oh, this is why I'm going to keep watching wrestling right now. Oh, sure. Because they're... Yeah, no, he, he was one of the ones that I knew he was the future of the business, and this the last... You know, this last run, as short as it was, when he was touching that upper echelon of of being something special, and when he was the fiend and he was something special, I was like, okay, cool. He's he's hitting, he's hitting that point where we all expected him to be. Yeah, and people always talk. I mean, he certainly had some rough matches, but thinking about it now, I don't think that there's a a thing that he ever did that I didn't like, even the matches right. that were arguably bad or weird or confusing, even like his one with Randy Orton at WrestleMania, I don't really remember actually hating it because I liked Bray Wyatt that much. I was always just so interested in whatever it was that they were trying to tell me. Right. Like it wasn't bad. It was just, it was weird because they were projecting bugs and stuff on the ring. And that was just kind of a weird production choice. Right. Versus Bray's ability or his storytelling in the match itself. I think it it speaks a lot to the mind that he had because we always had expectations that he couldn't meet. But those Mm -hmm. expectations came from this place of like. He he was so damn interesting in his storytelling and the way that he carried himself was so captivating. And, you know, in modern wrestling, there was, especially in, you know, his peak in WWE was a time where we all wanted to fantasy book everything too much. And I think that that's quelled a bit, um, in recent memory. Like we all just go, Hey, let's actually just see what they're going to do instead of, in creating those expectations, but he was a guy that I think honestly was hindered by the fans creating expectations around what he was going to do next. But it always came from a place of like, we expected so much of him because he was so damn good all the time. Right. When he came onto the scene, we were all like, Oh, this guy's going to be special. And we projected that on him. Right. And for a while, you know, there were times where those were really big shoes to fill. And, you know, ultimately he filled them. Um, And 
you know, unfortunately has left us way too soon. And from the industry perspective, I mean, even if you take his mat, take his career, let's say he had to retire tomorrow, right? You know, he was still going to be in the business and be around and sharing his ideas and, and teaching other people. And we're going to miss out on all that now. Um, so aside from the fact that we lost his life and how that's affecting, you know, his family, the business is missing out sorely on what, you know, could have been. Yeah. And in terms of that, I think that the number one thing that the business can do and that we can all do now is there's still plenty of footage. Luckily, you know, his career happened in a time where WWE was just filming everything all the time. (laughs) So go back, watch it, study it, appreciate it, learn something from it, because there's probably a lot there that is still very valuable that, you know, everything's moving at 100 miles an hour. It feels like just a couple of weeks ago, he we were dropping the story with Bobby Lashley and it's funny, at the time, I was like, yeah, that's good, because I don't understand why they would do that match. And I'm sure we had made comments about that on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, damn, I kind of wish we would have gotten I wish it. we would have had that. Because I wonder what it could have been. And that's, you know, the unfortunate story that can sometimes come around when things like this happen. So I think, um, I know we want to kind of wrap up here, so... Next week, we're going to probably do a much long form podcast on his career Mm -hmm. um, and we'll kind of be able to dive more into it. So I don't have we don't have to say too much here, but I think that that's going to be exciting to get a chance to dive back into his work and look at some of the best things that he's done. And um, I hope anybody who's listening, you should do it, too. And most likely we'll come down to very similar things that we end up talking about on the show. Um, right. You guys will be able to share your thoughts with us uh, because I'm sure we're going to have a lot to say next week. Right. You know, and as we always say, you know, the, this podcast is about celebrating all the things that make professional wrestling such good shit. And Bray Wyatt definitely was that. Um, one thing before we close on this and, and toss it to our past selves, for the rest of the show. Um, the word going around is that WWE is going to put up a notice on WWE shop that all proceeds from uh, Bray Wyatt's merchandise is going to go to Jojo and his family. Um, so once that happens, please go buy Bray merchandise from them um, to help the family. And then with that, um, let's take it to this week's show. It's such Good shit. So, uh, so FTR's in trouble. Well, not Did FTR. Did they announce that he's not going to be at all in? Because I know no, somebody got I think pulled he's from all go- in. He's going to all in. Apparently, his arrest, he's still allowed to travel internationally. Mm hmm. So last As I heard of he's now, going. 
as of now that matches on, but there's some rumor out there. It's not even a rumor. Tony Khan said it that due to circumstances beyond his control, a match had to get changed, but he didn't say what or how. So I don't know what that's about. Well, it's so it's not like he went and got himself arrested last weekend. This is something that happened a little while ago and he kind of expected it to be coming down the pike, right? That was the yes. way I read the 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 incident happened back ugh, like a month or so ago and this was kind of like the Does arraignment. anyone know what the incident was? I know he yeah. hit somebody, but what what's the It was road rage. Um basically they we don't know the, the the details about the road rage incident other than the two of them got into it. He threatened with a gun, like, hey, I've got a gun in some form or fashion. Uh, and then that was that was that. Well, happens to the that that sounds way more sanitized than the charge being aggravated assault with a firearm. So I looked it up when I when this first came out and to be considered aggravated assault versus just like assault uh it has to be like pre not not premeditated but it has to be like forceful and not accidental like i could accidentally assault somebody like say i'm standing next to somebody and i accidentally like bump into them that could be considered assault aggravated as if I intentionally push that person. I think. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. Yeah, but that's my and, understanding. And assault doesn't even necessarily mean contact, Andrew. So like Matt yelling at you could be an assault charge. Mm -hmm. um, it's the threat. So they're just throwing the book the... at him because he's probably not from Florida. Well, if he flashed a gun, right. I think they take that shit pretty seriously. But we don't really know yeah. what was going on too, right? Maybe he was trying to like, hey dude, don't try to hurt me i'm gonna shoot you kind of a thing Who he might have been trying to de-escalate it himself for all we know we we don't know yeah but it's interesting to see how it's going to impact the biggest non wwe pay-per-view since the late 90s which is going to be pretty on brand for our uh, main topic today <laughs> Yeah, so Matt, I do want to point out, I think the thing that Tony Khan might have been referring to was that Ray Phoenix got pulled from Stadium Stampede. That got announced um, today. So that could have been what you saw that he was alluding to and had nothing to do with FTR. Am I the only one who thinks the Stadium Stampede shit is really boring? They did the one, and it was great. I don't there was know no we crap. need to do it again. Right. Yeah, it's I don't know like how you have no other option. I mean, it feels like they just did a similar match with Anarchy in the Arena. Like, what's the kind of <laughs> except it's not an arena? Well, they're only doing it because the they announced it uh, today as of the day we're recording that for the video game, the Stadium Stampede mode is going live tomorrow. So they did it to time it with that. I just don't understand why every AEW show has to have like a massive eight person chaotic brawl. Like, how is that pro wrestling? I don't know, to be honest. It's, it's very just like a mosh. They shit. have a lot of they have a lot of factions and they don't know how to interweave everybody into 
faction warfare where there's maybe tag teams and like a grudge match between two of the people. And then maybe one of the guys has a title that somebody else is going after. And you kind of maybe you only have a big chaotic match with everybody one time. But for the most part, the stories should be interwoven in singles matches and and tag team matches like that's how wwe does right. it with the judgment day or with or the blood even line. if you want to blow off a big group story do like a war game like put everybody in the ring together you know it just makes it so and i can only imagine if you're in the arena it's like the most boring 40 minutes of your life I, yeah, because I don't know how... I mean, I guess we'll have to see how it plays out, but if there's shit just happening everywhere, I mean, A, how do you even time that when people are doing stunts on one side of the arena and, like, other people are doing stunts on the other side? Are you just, like, fiddle-fucking around, like, pretending to punch a guy and, like, watching the monitor to see what's happening over on the other end of the arena and going, oh, okay, now it's time for our spot... And then as an audience member, you're just trying to figure out like where the spotlight is being shined because they're just people doing random yeah. shit everywhere. Well, and then like last time, there's just music playing the whole time. Um, yeah. Uh, so again, like it could work. I don't know how you book it, but I'm also not a professional wrestler who has to book the fucking match. So it's up to them to make it make sense to me. But on paper, it kind of just I don't know how you do it and it, it be entertaining for the audience. Yeah, without it being pre-taped, it feels like difficult to pull off. So one of my favorite anecdotes that Cornette had from the last time they did this with the Young Bucks in the, not Bullet Club, British Club, whatever the fuck they call themselves, Blackpool Combat Club, um, <laughs> was, I guess Matt Jackson had the exploding boot thing, right? But if you look at it in the context of like how the match is progressing, it's like your brother's like fighting for his life and you stop and pack your boot with some explosives on your way back to the rain. Like it's so nonsensical. It's like, hold on, let let me let me pop into the 7-Eleven and buy some fucking explosives and then I'll like swing back in. It's like, what? Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, it's. I mean, it's why wouldn't you do that? Though? Some of the shit that they've done in matches. It's like, like, why not just bring a gun and shoot the other person? Why not? <laughs> well, and that's and that's one of the problems with wrestling when things get escalated to a point of nonsense. Is at this point, why am I not just pulling a knife and stabbing him to death? Why am I not just pulling a gun and shooting him? Right. Obviously, you can't do that because you know actual crime committed. But when you're doing such crazy, stupid things already that in real life would constitute actual, you know, injury and death, right? Like, it gets hard to to blur that line. Yeah, I've always hated the when grudge, like, where blood feuds get really intense. And it's like, oh, I just want to kill this guy. We're going to have an unsanctioned match. And it's like, okay, so then why don't you kill him? Because by all accounts, you want to, and you just created a a match where you're telling me that you can do whatever you want. So maybe just don't book it like that because you're you're trying to convince me that you're not going to kill this guy. But you're also telling me you want to because you think it's going to make it more dramatic for me. But obviously you're not going to do that because that would be fucking insane. So it is very just odd sometimes 
when they, they want to go to two extremes, but you can't commit for obvious reasons. Like it just doesn't make any sense. So just, I, I don't know, tell the story better. Do you guys want me to run through the card real quick? Um, since this is the last yeah. time we'll talk before all in. Yeah. I don't know when we're going to talk about all in again. So yeah, let's, I mean, presumably next uh, Friday. So <laughs> you guys tune yeah. in, but that's true. So I'll start from, I guess the, the buy-in show. So you've got the ROH World Tag Championship match. It's Aussie Open versus MJF and Adam Cole. So that's actually pretty interesting because that's going to set up the main event in some way, you'd imagine, right? Shenanigans will ensue. Right. It's either A, they're going to win the belts, and so then you're going to it's going to fake us into thinking, oh, things are going to go fine during the main. Right. Or they lose them because of shenanigans. But either way, someone's turning on someone, you'd have to imagine. I, If not that match in the main. So here's, you can't turn on each other during the pre-show match. That feels weird. No, yeah, I I think you're on to something, which is that they win the belts to like try to to fake us out. Yeah, exactly. Which is weird because you've been booking it to to give us tension that there is going to be something. So, like, why pull it back? I don't know. When we get to the main event, I'll share my thoughts Mm -hmm. on it. Well, so we're already at the main event, the real main event for the real world championship. (laughs) It's CM Punk versus (laughs) Samoa Joe. (laughs) So that could be an all-time classic. Um, If you watched their encounter a few weeks ago, it was really good, but you could tell they were holding back. So I'm excited Mm -hmm. to see. Oh, they're going to unload on each other. They're going to beat the shit out of each other. Then you've got Swerve Strickland and A.R. Fox versus Sting and Darby Allen in a coffin match. Interesting to see how that goes with two men. Do you stuff them both in the coffin or are there two coffins? coffins? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I (laughs) Sting hasn't really done anything shitty yet. So just him being in this match makes me feel better about it. Also, uh, Swerve Strickland's fucking great. Is Sting um, the so Terry? Not, I was gonna say Sting the Terry Funk of a twenty twenty three. He's quietly been having these insane, like brutal spots for like two years now, and it's just like, dude, your legacy is already set. You don't have to do this. No, I must jump yeah. off of this thing yeah. unsafely. <laughs> we gotta make sure, like, you gotta make sure you give sting his flowers as often as possible because we just don't deserve all this extra sting that we we've gotten in the last like decade really it should have been gone over a decade ago he could have retired arguably he could have retired before he got to wwe no he could have but then he did the tna run which was actually a good run right he was good a run as you could have in tna to answer but he hasn't done anything bad I mean, no. the WWE run was really good, too. It was only three matches, but, you know, for what it was. I mean, the worst guy main event involved in the worst thing he's involved in wasn't even his fault. It was the Victory Road thing. That's the only bad thing that he was a part of. And, like, and nobody, and nobody really looks at that. he could do. <laughs> but nobody looks at that as a black spot on Sting. Everyone goes, man, Sting was a of professional. That, that's he my took point. care of business. Like, I can't. That's the only thing I can think of. It's got nothing yeah. to do with him. 
He was just adjacent to the problem. So speaking of things <laughs> that have nothing to do with each other, then we've got the much maligned Stadium Stampede match. So that'll be a I good hour-long shit break. Um, I got to imagine that a bunch of that's going to be pre-recorded, right? Because at some point they're going to go backstage or some bullshit, and that'll be pre-recorded material. Yeah, it has to be. That's the only way they can do the timing on this, is that the guys who are backstage are like in Gorilla waiting for their cue to, you know right. what I mean? It has to. Mm-hmm. Which... Just pre-record the whole thing then. Maybe that's what they do is pre-record the match before. The last time a major company pre-recorded a match of that magnitude was the 1999 Bash at the Beach Junkyard Brawl in which literally every participant got injured after the fact. I don't know that that's the best idea. Well, uh, we had the Rock and Foley pre-recorded match. Which, you know, I meant well. a match with like this many people and, oh, okay. and chaotic stuff. But I, but it, yeah, I guess sure. your point. All right. Then we've got Chris Jericho versus Will Ospreay. Um, anecdote on Will Ospreay. I don't know if y'all saw this, but he hit a nice unprotected headshot with a chair a few weeks ago. So he's just oh. hell bent on uh, giving people CTE. Okay. Yeah, I can't say I agree with it, but also I'm kind of excited about this. Of all it's the intriguing. things that I, I hate that I'm going to miss, it's like, yeah, Chris Jericho is is like 50, but this is a, a match on pay-per-view. Like, he usually delivers. Well, Man, and now that Jericho's back in shape again, like, this should be good. So then we've got Omega, Hangman, Adam Page, and Kota Ibushi versus Jay White, Juice Robinson. And why didn't they just say, okay. <laughs> so Bullet Club Gold versus Kenny Omega and Hangman and Kota Ibushi. Uh, so I think another they can't say Bullet tag. Club because they don't, they're not allowed to use the, uh, the copyright. No, that's why trademark. it's gold. Oh. If it's gold, then it's I, fine. That's crazy that that bypasses the... The fucking trademark, really? That's it. Well, so I assume that they just had the right to do it. It's not that New Japan like doesn't want them having Bullet Club stuff on American TV. I think it's more so that they want their own. They want to be able to sell their own merch and stuff. You know, got. I don't. Okay, I don't think so anyone's telling. It them doesn't bypass the copyright at all. But New Japan is giving them permission to use it as long as they make it like adjacent to the Bullet Club, but it's not the Bullet Club. Bullet Club. It's like NWO and NWO Japan, just in reverse. Gotcha. Yeah, they're all friends. Um, then we've got the women's championship match. Uh, AEW World a- Championship match is the champion Hikaru Shida. Who is that? Yeah, it's. Hikaru Shida? You don't know who Shida is? Shows what I know. She was... When we went to... Not the last uh, AEW show we went to. The one we sat ringside. She was the lone women's match. Was her versus... Oh, I forgot who. Uh, I can see her in my... In my uh, in my mind, I forgot Wasn't what her it name the is. person from um, Straight Edge She was Society? in Straight Edge Society. Yes. What the uh, hell is her name? Uh, Dweeb? Deeb? 
Serena Deeb. It was her versus Serena Deeb at that show. And Lil Dweeb. (laughs) Jesus. Um, Anyway, Tony Storm's in that match. Soraya, Britt Baker. It's just there's so many people in every single one of these matches. It's insanity. The whole thing is going to be a cluster. There's like 40 people Mm -hmm. on this card. Um, So then you've got Young Bucks versus... You've got Young Bucks versus FTR tentatively. I, we should say, and then when you've got the main event. Uh, something super noticeably missing from this card. Actually, several things missing from this card that could be on this card. Can we, can we like just address that for a second? Mm-hmm. I mean, CM Punk's not on the show. Miro's what? not on the show. CM what? Punk's facing, he's defending Je- his Samoa real Joe. world championship for Samoa Joe. Yeah. Where the hell is you? Wait, Cesaro is also on Did the you? card. He's in the in the stadium stampede. I didn't. Andrew, do you have CTE? I, no. Uh, did you cut out when you said that? Did you announce that? Yeah, me and Matt we, talked about it for like. A we few talked seconds. about it. Yeah, I'd, I must have missed that. Then <laughs> did you not hear me say I can't, those two are going to beat the shit out of each other because they've been holding back? Wow. Yeah, no, I mean, Alec must have cut out when he was talking about it. I thought we were still talking about uh, MJF and Adam Cole because we were talking I, about that tag match before. That was like been a okay, lot of whatever. him cutting out when that happened. Yeah, well, well, in any case, good. it is happening. That needs to be on the ma- that yeah, that needs to be on the show. Yeah, what I about think it's Miro? it's Where's opening Miro? the show. It seems like based on the way they laid this out, Miro's not on the show. Neither is, uh, neither, basically none of the dynamite guys or none of the, uh, collision guys, collision guys are because you don't have Ricky Starks either, which is weird because he's, which is weird. The biggest up and coming star I would say they have. I mean, you don't have orange cat. There's a lot of guys. You just can't get everyone onto the show. It's sort of like the old school WrestleManias where. Yeah, I can only do what you can do. Um. And I mean, when you think about it, it's like, who would you take off? Are you going to take I you're not going to take Darby Allen off the show, right? You're not going to take Bullet Club Gold off the show. So. I get and it. And if you took off some of the lower name guys, then the, those matches wouldn't make any sense. If you plug in, say, Orange Cassidy, be like, why? Why are you fighting so and so? Now. Instead of having a dual coffin match, why not do Darby Allen versus uh, Ricky Starks, right? And get two of your young stars on the show. But look, I don't know. Um, well, you want Sting to wrestle. Are we going to talk about potential surprises? Because there's tons of rumors swirling. You've got Goldberg rumors. You've got Edge rumors. You've got arrest rumors. Okay, so on the arrest thing, I don't. I think FTR is going to happen, and I think the match is going to go off. I think they're going to give the Bucks the belts so that in case Cash has to go away, that that's already settled. Um, but I don't think otherwise that's going to be a thing. Um, the Edge thing I don't think is happening yet because his contract's not up till September. So mm. I don't see him showing up two weeks or a week before his contract expires. So I don't think that's happening either. That Goldberg's could a possibility. Potentially be a lie though. I mean, his contract's up in September. Cause he says if he has a plan, he could be a lie. 
I think I just find it hard to believe that Edge or Goldberg, for that matter, are going to fly to England and that they can even keep it a secret, them flying internationally like that. You, you would have to do some wacky, like, yeah, oh, I got to fly before. to... Cena, Cena literally just did it. Well, Cena was already in London. Was what, he? Do we know that? Yeah, he was... I believe filming something or he was there for something else. I feel like that was a complete surprise. Like no one knew anything. It was a surprise, but the reason it was a surprise is because it's not like Cena had flown in that weekend. You know, he'd been there, so it wasn't. Oh, I could be wrong. Also, I'm pretty sure he is uh, at this point, a high profile celebrity. He can just sort of fly anywhere. And it's like, yeah, Cena's in town, but also he could be in town for so many reasons because he's just doing so. Well, much and I guess Tony Khan's got private jets. The problem would be like someone would catch wind of, hey, Tony Khan's jet just like departed across the sure, ocean. Sure, but Tony Khan's jet is going to be going to England soon. Like it's going to be going there. Yeah, look, I would love nothing more than for Goldberg to show up to set up potentially the next MJF match. I just feel like we're heading towards an Adam Cole victory that people aren't clamoring for. Like confetti, the whole nine yards His disgusting body just plastered all over the (laughs) jumbotron. I'm just not sure what the plan. I'm just not sure what the plan is because you've neutered MJF as a heel, I think at this point, right? Like, I think the only real scenario is to do a double turn. No, officially turn MJF face and turn Cole heel. He's done this before where he can always just immediately turn on the guy who he's buddy, buddy with. And it's like, I got you guys again, you know? Okay. But I feel like at this point doing that at this point, MJF has shown character development. I'm not saying he can't go heel again in the future. Has and, and he? I mean, they, the last vignette they did, he was hitting kids with dodgeballs. Yeah, but but it was done in a... It wasn't in a malicious manner. Right, but they're it, making it clear that of. he's still... He's an asshole. Like, they're not running right. away from that. In right, this. which is why if you do a double turn... It gives his character progression that he versus him just sliding back into being a heel. Like <laughs> I was healed the whole time. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. I just don't well, see it. The only thing is, is I don't. I don't feel like I am invested enough in him as a heel or as a face to want to see that. So like, yeah. And the problem is, where do you go with that, right? Because I think ultimately we're heading towards a champion versus champion you'd have to assume otherwise i don't know what the point of the other belt is and is it just that you have two guys that are tweeners and then it's just a muddled reaction i i think they're pushing towards punk going heel as the i feel like that's how they're going to play that match is the opposite of how all their other matches were which is mjf is the face punk is the heel I don't know. I just get that vibe that that's where that's going to go. MJF might be the guy that could unify the crowd against Punk. I mean, part of the problem with the Punk, the people who are saying Punk should go heel, is that he's getting like a 60% pop. 
positive reaction and it's the loudest reaction, baby face reaction mm-hmm. you have on the show. So it's kind of like the Cena thing where it's like, oh, it's great that you want to turn Cena heel. But even with a split crowd, he still is the biggest baby face. But I have heard rumors that Punk wants to turn heel. So, I mean, maybe the problem is if he turns heel, this is the same thing going back to the Cena thing. Instantly, half the crowd is going to cheer for it. (laughs) Right? I, like, I don't, I, I don't know. A, I don't think his reaction will change. He's divisive no matter what he does. People yeah, and that's why I think they're playing it the right way, which is he's just going to be him and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, I, and I think that that works. And hell, I mean, MJF could possibly do the same thing, right? Just be him and let half the people cheer and half the people boo. I don't know. But I think ultimately this ends with Adam Cole with the belt. So. You know what a uh, hit could be in the earlier in the night is if Punk loses to Samoa Joe, which he's been known to do, then you know that MJF could lose too, right? But if Punk retains, it's like, well, you got to keep the belt on MJF to do the unification match. But you'd think if that's the route that you're going, why in the absolute fuck would you do this now? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense that they're not just doing the match match at the biggest show. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense why that match isn't happening at this show. I I think it's because they're hell-bent on making Adam Cole their face of the company. Which, to be fair, you have to try if that's what you want to do. I'm just surprised that out of all the things that they want to do, that's the one feels like there's a lot of guys who who could take that spot that they have. Like, if they're really going to go with Adam Cole, at that point, it's like, well, why not fucking go with Orange Cassidy? Or why I not agree. push? Why not push? Uh, wh- fuck, why didn't you just push Swerve Strickland or Darby Allen? Or Ricky Starks or Keith Lee yeah. or Miro or fucking anybody. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's... I don't know what Adam Cole was doing that is more special than any of the other guys who could be the next big, like underdog babyface. Yeah, you kind could just put the belt back on that. at on Adam Page. The problem with Adam Cole is, and we could probably do a whole episode on the problem with Adam Cole is NXT. Adam Cole was like the second coming of Shawn Michaels in the way that he was booked, in the way that his matches were laid out, in the the storylines he was given. There's a big difference from that Adam Cole to the AEW Adam Cole. Well, and, and it's I not even just the booking; it's the his charisma everything too. He's not cool yeah. anymore. Like that was a big exactly. Part of it. It's everything. And I think in Tony Khan's mind, I've still got NXT Adam Cole that I'm going to make the face of my company. And yeah, NXT Adam Cole, you totally could do it. But you don't have NXT Adam Cole. You have this weird shadow version of him. And it's not the same. He, he is like uh, he's like Wario Adam Cole. I guess it's Waluigi Adam Cole, but yeah. Yeah, you know. Or so, you know, the Rick and Morty episode where they all have like they're they take this thing where they can stay up all night. 
or they can't oh, the, the shadow yeah or what did they like call that. them yeah, it was the shadow version of them yeah right it's those guys they're night persons yeah the night it's, person. it's adam cole's night person that's running around right now i feel like half the aw roster it's their night person that's running around yeah aw is a jace like in general AEW in general is kind of like the night person of WCW, sort of. It's yeah, it's tough because that is nominally true, like on Dynamite. But then you watch Collision, it's like, well, this is an entirely. It's like the night person version of like Saturday Night Main Event. So, you know, they've got a lot going on. I think I'm. Ex- this is probably the only AEW card I'm going to buy all year. Um, but I'm not excited about it. That's interesting. I was not going to watch it at all. I feel like, like you can't the, say at, you're at a most I'm interested. Not... At most, I'm interested to see the audience in the venue and like what that looks yeah. like outside of WWE. Like how, you... how does it translate into a big venue? But I just... I'm not necessarily all that interested to see any of these matches. I'm I'm sort of interested in the main event. I'm obviously always interested to see CM Punk. Uh, but yeah, but that's it, kind of it's, it's, it's a wrestling cultural touch point, though, Andrew. Seeing MJF in a crowd of 70,000 people, like seeing a lot of these guys in a stadium that big, seeing what the reactions are like, I feel like it's... It's a historic moment. You would be wrong. Well, that's what Andrew was saying. He's interested in in seeing the atmosphere and the crowd and how all that works. But the matches, other than, you know, like, other than the punk match and the main, like, eh. It sounds like the women's WWE pay-per-views. Those things are clips that I can see online, but to shell out the money to watch the matches that I'm not all that interested in because they're not really booking TV that I want to see right now. Just kind of not, I don't care enough. I don't think. Cool. Well, it's just interesting to me that you don't care about this, but then we have to talk about like the bloodline every week on the show. Actually, I don't actually bring up the bloodline every week. We haven't I complain about, about how recently. I wish it was over every week. Sure, okay. Pick your bullshit WWE story. I mean, <laughs> I like all I'm trying to say is I don't think this card's any inferior to most of the WWE cards that are put out on the, on their uh, premium live events. It's it's not compared to a regular live event, but compared to a Mania or a SummerSlam, which is what this has been built up to be, it just feels like it's like, is this the best card you could come up with? No, there's definitely some flaws with it. Um, <clears throat> again, it's just... You're buying the show to see, to your point, MJF, right? Yeah, and I think, ultimately, I, I if I didn't have anything going on on Saturday, especially because this is going to be well, happening what, live Sunday, like in the middle of the day... Sunday at probably three. Either way, like I might not have something going on that I could be watching it, 
But the difference is, is that this sort of like, oh, that would kind of be fun to watch, I guess, but I'm not all that hyped about it show is an additional $60. It's not lumped into a subscription service that we're using already, which is the difference here. I would not have paid for SummerSlam. I would not have paid for... Right, but you have a wrestling podcast, so there are certain shows you just kind of have to watch, even if you don't want to watch them. Yeah, you know what would help that is if if we got some donations from our fans, then we could afford to buy those pay-per-views, but... We're not uh, we're not rolling in the dough here. Yeah, but then I'm like required to watch wrestling. I'm not all that hyped on watching. That's every week when I watch so Ron Smash. The show is at noon, which is pretty funny. On a Sunday, I mean, that's yeah. it's in London. Yeah, it's like football sure. time. I mean, like I'll I'll end up putting it on in the background while I'm doing stuff around the house on Sunday. I don't know. I, I think there'll be parts where I sit down and actually pay attention for a little while, but I I can't see myself sitting there the whole time watching it. Sure, sure. And I don't think anyone expects you to at at, at this point in our lives to uh, you the the way the wrestling shows have become, you just can't sit down and watch any of them start to finish. With the exception right, of Mania, is like the one right. time a year where you can actually do it. Otherwise, they're just on in the background, and you know you catch it when you. When and you're even able Mania to. is in the background for four out of the seven hours. <laughs> Jeez. But Alec also just made a great point. Like football's back, so why the fuck would I watch AEW? It's not back yet. Football's back next weekend, so they actually made yeah. a. I mean, also, sure. Do you watch but football? like preseason's going on. Well, Aaron Rodgers just joined the New York Jets. Of course, I'm going to watch. I. Okay. It's fucking big time. You watching Hard Knocks? No. Hard Knocks is back. That is true. So Aaron Rodgers, Matt, is one I know of the, who he is. Right. So he, much like Hulk Hogan, has made the move from the Packers to the New York Jets. And in doing so, has sort of electrified the league. And what Andrew's referring to is the documentary HBO series Hard Knocks where they follow training camp with the team. Um, nobody's watched Hard Knocks in like 10 years, but this Hard Knocks season is a, a big deal. A lot of people are tuning in for it. All right. Well, with that, I, I think it's time to uh, do the show intro. It's been 30-plus minutes. Uh, welcome to Such Good Shit, a wrestling podcast where the three of us, who are brothers, get together and talk about all the things that make professional wrestling such good shit. And this week for our main segment, we are actually talking about, uh, well, this is in tribute to a person who definitely made wrestling such good shit. And that is the Funker, Terry Funk, uh, who we found out passed away earlier today. So as a uh, tribute to Terry, we are, uh, well, we watched Beyond the Mat, and we're going to kind of talk about it. Uh, So the movie is now what, 25 years old, 26 years old, 24, 24 years old. Um, so, you know, a lot has changed since this movie came out and, you know, I remember being in high school and this came out and it was one of those like, holy shit things because it opened up the curtain to a lot of kayfabe stuff. 
Um, so I, I think we're going to kind of go through the movie somewhat chronologically. Um, this isn't a watch along or anything like that, but we're just going to kind of talk about the different parts of the movie and just, you know, what it's like to watch this thing 24 years after the fact. I guess first question is when was the last time you guys watched this? Like how fresh was it for you? So I know I watched it. I want to say within the last five years. Okay. That like, it hasn't been recent. terribly long. Andrew, have you ever seen it? Um, prior to rewatching it for this, I had seen it like twice once when I was a kid and then another time, probably within the last three years. Like the, you know, you go back and you watch that shit as an adult. I did like that. And then beyond or not beyond the mat uh wrestling with shadows like back to back basically we are gonna have to do a thing about wrestling with shadows at some point i thought he was gonna say ready to rumble we should also do a show about ready to rumble (laughs) at some point these are great when we don't have ideas like let's just go fucking watch an old uh wrestling (laughs) thing so one of the things that i found weird uh so I took notes when I was watching it because I'm a nerd and the opening music was fucking Ahmed Johnson's theme song. What the fuck was that about? Like Ahmed's not even in the movie. There might've been a clip of him in the montage, but like, why was that the music that was chosen? I don't remember his theme song. So like it did not stand out. Like I didn't notice. So it's, it's at the part where, so the movie opens for those who haven't seen it with a child watching TV and it's the voiceover of the director. And he's explaining how I watched wrestling as a child and it captivated me. And then it shows him as an adult staring at the TV, watching wrestling. And he's like, I still watch it today. I just don't tell anybody. And then it just starts with this like rock music to signify things are grungy and, and gritty, but it's fucking Ahmed Johnson's theme song. Yeah, I so. fast forwarded through the uh, intro. Because, <laughs> okay, uh, look, I had to had to get it watched in time for the podcast, so you know. Yeah, this kind of came together quickly after we found out about uh, Terry earlier today. We decided to scrap our original plan and do this instead. Um, one thing I wrote down also was the music, just in general, was very cheesy. Like just the background, the incidental music. Um, I'm guessing it's because it was a low budget documentary. And so like yeah. the, mu- the music libraries just weren't as robust back in the late nineties as they are today. I think that's really but, what it is, is you forget that like indie movies back then were not polished. Whereas now you can make an indie film and it's like good, you know? Well, cause I noticed visually, the basic stuff too, where it was like, Oh, that's really like cheap feeling or even yeah. with the visuals like it was well edited, but the cinematography was what it was. You know, there were parts of it that were strong. You, so you could tell they used multiple different types of cameras. At some point, they had a professional broadcast camera, but they didn't use it all the time. So some shots, some for those who haven't seen the movie. It goes into different chunks covering three or four main topics and then a few little side quests. 
And it felt like some of the things were filmed entirely with this very high quality camera and some parts were filmed with like a fucking handy cam. And it kind of just bounced back and forth depending on what segment you were on. Um, so the first part is introducing you to the world of wrestling and he starts at the top and they go to WWF, they go to Titan tower with the infamous scene where you just hear the receptionist answering the phone world wrestling federation please hold world wrestling federation and they just repeat that audio for like five minutes while the dude's walking around titan tower and just like checking it out um and that's like there's no way that's a thing that's happening all day i don't think the phones (laughs) are ringing that much like that with if there's only one receptionist like come on um but this takes us to my favorite part of this whole movie vince's water chewing scene so yeah i wrote down vince drinks water (laughs) so for those who haven't seen it it's the only time vince is is interviewed in the movie i think there's like one other time where you get a question answer from him but it's very brief but the guy asks is basically like what is wwf and and vince is like oh you know we're not just wrestling we make movies but the whole time a he's sitting like perpendicular to the camera He's not like facing the camera directly as if he doesn't want to be bothered. He's got a bottle of water on the table, which like when you're doing interviews, everybody always has, you know, a bottle of water at the side or behind the table, right? To keep hydrated. But Vince has it just out. And he's like obnoxiously drinking from it during this. And he does this move. So he takes the sip. Make movies. And he's like chewing the water. It was like it's the first talking. time he's drank from a water bottle. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like he didn't know what to do and he was half drowning. <laughs> it's just like, it's one of my I don't, favorite Did you guys things. not notice that people, did, a bunch of people did this move? It's a smarmy fucking dickhead thing to do. And a bunch of people did it throughout the movie. And it maybe not was with like water, but like Jake the Snake does it where he says something that he thinks is super profound after one of the shows and then just goes takes a real big drag of a cigarette well, and I'm in like, all nice, fairness man, you look jake, real fucking cool jake was saying some pretty profound shit that was like <laughs> important to, like the human experience vince was like we make movies yeah i mean i'm just saying there's multiple times where people are getting interviewed and i don't know what they, they all either had something to drink they were smoking and they would say something very matter of factly and then do like drink or, or smoke, whatever it was. It kept happening. Now, and it's like, yeah. that's sort of like Jesse fucking... Ventura puffs the cigar. But you have to remember, <laughs> everybody in this movie is involved in wrestling. And so there's always a little bit of K of kayfabe. You're always, it's always a promo every time, no matter what the Vince thing was just weird. And I, I almost feel like, they weren't necessarily intending for that to be a recorded thing. It was just while they were getting set up or whatever, and they just liked it so much. They were like, I'll put that shit in. I just can't get over the water. It, it's it's a pristine. It looks like the coldest water bottle I've ever seen. And it's completely yeah. untouched before he takes the big swig, you know? It's like, it's almost it's, like, w- it's was this staged. actually heavily produced? Yeah, it's like he staged the water bottle for it's like, I'm going to need a prop here. And then they put a water <laughs> bottle out, you know, it was untouched. It was a brand that's new water bottle. Th- that's why I think it was 
they were getting set up to record a, a, you know, an interview with him and they're just chit chatting. And he says this thing about, Oh, we make movies. And they're like, Oh my God, that's gold. We should keep it in. Yeah. But it's got Vince doing some weird thing with the what? Ah, don't worry about it. So I know at this time, this is notoriously when Vince was like, we, we should, they were legit about making movies but I've always tried to read this as he's meaning more like what they're doing is theatrics. It is. A yeah, movie. yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly but what he means. Also, it, because of hindsight, you look at it and you go, Oh, is this the start of him just thinking that they were a movie studio out of nowhere? Oh Cause God. he does go down that road. Not that long. He's after. like, ah, <laughs> so it's I like, like that. I don't know. Movies. Ah, it's like, God I don't, damn, I don't know the intention behind what he says. And I want to give yep. him credit that he's trying to explain the concept of what he produces. But at the same time, I'm like, no, maybe he's just, so you're saying that is the first time he realizes that he wants to make movies. Like he says the line, maybe, and it's like, maybe not oh, the first shit, time. That's a good idea. Maybe not the first time, but maybe the conversations have been happening. And so he's like, oh, we're going to be doing this documentary. This is what we got to debut our new fucking movie studio for. That's possible. Like, I, it makes you wonder what the intention behind that line is. And, and so presumably him chewing on the water, he's actually chewing on the movie studio idea. My God. You know what I mean? The gears are running in his brain, so he forgets that he's Maybe. got water in the mouth. His brain stopped because <laughs> he was like, wait. That's a hell of an idea. <laughs> While he's drowning. <laughs> so going from, from him drinking water to somebody else doing something, uh, now we see the introduction of Draws, Darren Drozdov, and he's going to have his meeting, his big Titan Tower meeting with Vince, to, hey, we have an idea for you. We want to bring you in to do this. Cool. And so they do the whole thing about puke, right? Because Drozdov was famous in the NFL, or infamous, rather, in the NFL, because he puked uh, on command onto the ball to freak out the other team and stuff. So they want to use that as his gimmick. So Vince explains it to him. And it's so funny because his pitch is so like bullshitty like puke is obviously an awful gimmick and vince knows it but he's really selling it to draws like this puke thing this is this is good this is gonna be good it's and jim tough. ross is sitting puke puke and jim ross is sitting there like oh yeah this is yeah and you ross know he looks does. You so know he hates pissed it. he looks so, so pissed so here's he's an interesting so unfortunate point. go, go the, ahead Vince notoriously hates involuntary bodily functions like sneezing. Why is he okay with puking? It's not involuntary. It's is that's that like what it why is? he likes it so much? Because it's, <laughs> it's controllable. Like, oh, you, he's like, it's oh, you can control- He's like, this guy's perfect oh, for me. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, it just makes sense. I bet now. he sneezes okay. on command too. Oh my god! I bet that I bet that's what it is. Holy shit! Well, and okay, then the continue. whole time Shane is like laughing, he's like smirking while Vince is making the bitch just fucking off in the corner. <laughs> Why he's laughing. Jim Ross looks pissed. What I don't understand is in nor- Shane wasn't involved in creative at any point in time. Why the fuck was he even there? Was it just for the movie? 
Well, it's a talent relations meeting, right? Like, I think that's it them normally, signing it would, draws. It would No, he was already signed. He was in developmental. That was just them calling him up saying, hey, we got an idea to bring you up to TV. Let's discuss it. Yeah, I, dude, I don't know. Maybe it Shane been, knew and wanted to be in the room. For him. <laughs> like, he knew what the idea been, was and was like, I gotta fucking see this shit. It would have been JR and Vince and maybe, like, Bruce Pritchard. Shane wouldn't have been Cornette was that. doing the creative at the time too. So, so was, Cornette may have been there, involved. but obviously well, and then Russo was involved as well at that time. Yeah, but Russo wouldn't have been brought in at that level. Look, who knows? I thought it was interesting too, and I know we're kind of backtracking here, but I want to get it out before I forget. So they say WWF is worth a billion dollars in 1998, presumably is when they're filming this because it comes out in 99. Mm-hmm. A billion dollars. I would be curious. That's outrageous. I'd be curious adjusted for inflation if they were worth more then than they are now. Andrew, you want to run those numbers? A billion and 19. They were worth more than the Knicks, the Nets, and the Mets. Or like they, he, he said that line. Combined. Like I think it was combined. Team. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Which in today's dollars would be like 15 thing. billion. I don't know if it's that much, but the Knicks alone are worth like six billion dollars, uh, which is amazing I, um, because the Knicks suck. Yeah, it's New York. Oh, and I okay. love the Knicks. That's Knicks why. was my team when I was a kid, but it's, you know, you know, whatever. Andrew, are your sources working? Yeah, I put in a billion, and then it changed it to um, just a million. And so when I saw the number, I was like, "What well, can't be fucking right?" Even a little bit. No. Um, it's well it's really not that much it's only 1.8 billion yeah that's I think you did a the math lot wrong i mean it might just not be that the, the, i mean the, either the calculator's shitty or like it says uh fucking it should only be about 87.5 percent more than it was then so 1.8 i don't know how accurate right, that then. is in terms of, of inflation I mean, well, you I mean, that's be careful what with this inflation calculator is doing. Inflation doesn't always. So here's this is what I'm basing it on because they mentioned those three sports teams. I happen to know that Cuban purchased the Mavs for about 250 million in the same year, 99, and the Mavs are worth multiple billions of dollars now. Um, so it might not be enough to just inflate it, right? In any case, um, I thought that was weird. Uh, God, poor, poor draws off too. And like, so he recently passed away, obviously. And yeah, just back in July, right? I think one of my takeaways from watching this was like, he seemed like such a nice guy and so excited to get into the business. Uh, That's what I was going to say earlier is. It's crazy that, yeah, they're giving him this pitch and it's complete bullshit and he handles it like a champ. He's so polite about it and he's really happy about it. And like he calls his mom and like they're kind of laughing about it, but he's just really excited to be there. I think he's genuinely excited. I think he's he gets Vince's pitch and he's like, okay, yeah, I can make this work. And here's the thing. Ultimately, they did use him well. Right, he got put with the LOD. They dropped the puke thing almost immediately, and he was just draws. Um, and then after he split away from LOD, he was doing his own thing. 
if he didn't get injured, I mean, he would have had a decent mid card run, you know? So, I mean, I mean, obviously we will never know what would have actually happened, but I, I think they ended up using him about as well as you could have in the attitude era. Yeah. It was only up from there. That's for sure. One thing that I didn't like about this scene and their choice to do this is that I don't mind them showcasing draws because he's a nice guy and he comes across really well in this. However, of all of the creative things they could have showcased, this is the most hokey, like it makes wrestling look stupid kind of one. Yeah, this is definitely like, like a there's Russo, some really. Uh... Yeah. I, I just think like, I don't know about 1998 who was being brought in, but like, man, if you could have, Edge, you know, the inception of the Undertaker. Oh, yeah, there you go. Those would have been very interesting things to see that would have kind of showcased like, you know, how you build a real star as opposed to what we were seeing in that meeting, which was Vince having fun and being a crazy person. We've talked about it a little bit. I feel like WWF, like Vince and like his crew are almost like playing a joke on this guy. It feels like from the water chewing to this scene, Shane seems to be in on it. You know what I mean? It feels like they're just like, Oh, we'll show you something. Yeah. Well, and the thing was when this came out, Vince tried to block it because what ended up what the documentary ended up being was not what they were sold on. I don't know what exactly they told Vince this thing was going to be, but it wasn't supposed to be, I guess, this tell-all expose on what wrestling is in real life, I guess. I don't know. So, yeah, I wonder if they were just playing along with some weird, hokey plan of what this was supposed to be. And then, uh, yeah. So, let's move on to the next major segment. I guess the first major segment. Um, This is the Indie Guys. So first they introduce us to APW, um, which is still running to this day um, in California. It's a training school and an indie show. And a lot of guys have come through those doors, including John Cena. Um, Not at this point yet, but in the future. Um, And then we meet um, Mike Modest and Tony Jones, two up-and-coming indie guys who are trying to get to WWE. And then we also meet Roland Alexander, who's the head of the group. Um, And there's this scene where Roland is like leaning on the ring and he's like, Mike Modest should be signed already. He's so good. And it's like, okay, you okay? And then you find out that he gets 20% of his contract when he signs. Yeah. Which that okay. felt insane to me, by the when way. When I was it younger, can't be legal. Hold on. When I was younger and I didn't know anything about the wrestling business, I was like, oh, your trainer gets what, you know, WWE gives them the money. No, 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 no. That ain't how that works. WWE's contract is with you and you alone. He must have signed contracts with them in APW as part of their training. That if you get signed out of here, you owe me X amount, which I don't know anyone else that does that <laughs> to this day. And I think any wrestler that got signed somewhere would tell the trainer to fuck right off. 
It can't right? be enforceable. Like, like there's no yeah, way. I mean, it's legal. The, this there's dude's no a way. fucker, man. He, he comes across like a fucker, man. The whole fucking <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. Everything that he, the whole conversation he about like how they're carny. not getting paid, and he's like, everybody gets paid. And then it just no, they weren't the getting like, paid. I haven't been paid ever. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, Carney as fuck. Um, although it's funny, by all accounts, he was actually a really nice guy, but Carney as fuck. Um. So yeah. So we 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 as an audience, we learn about what indie wrestling is and what wrestling school kind of looks like. And look, other than him being a fucker man with the whole twenty percent. Everything you saw there was pretty accurate to how that shit goes. Um, and then we see, like, they do the clip of the uh, the guy that works at United Airlines. And he starts yelling at fucking Mark in the crowd because the guy spit on him or some shit. I'm like, whatever happened to that guy? Who was yeah, he? Was cool. Where did he go? Yeah, I think it's for the best that they didn't say what his name was. Just protect that guy's, like, job. That's true. Well, he said what his fair. job was, though. Yeah, but I mean, still be would be hard to hunt him down. Sure. If you can't, you can like, you know, just kind of see his face. He's in like generic sort of a clothes. costume. It's, yeah, he's I in. Mean, he's, he's playing a, a character. But I don't know. You're still protecting him by not saying his name. So speaking of uh, hunting people down, whatever happened to Mike Modest? Because I felt like. Even just in the few clips we saw, you could tell that the other guy was not good, and he was good. So I looked it up. Um, okay, so backtracking real quick. So when the movie came out, I had awareness of Mike Modest's name. He was never a big name on the indie scene, but he was big enough that I knew the name. I knew who he was, okay? Nothing. They have both done nothing. So, uh, Modest continued wrestling uh, in the Indies. He actually was in Impact or TNA for a little bit. Okay, I wouldn't say um, that's nothing. He, I mean, he didn't he ever... signed a contract somewhere, right? Sure. Um, and then that was basically it. And then he's, as far as I can tell, he's been out of it. He's been running his own indie fed for a while now. I don't know if he's still running it, but he did that as well. Tony Jones continued to work in the Indies for quite a while um, into the early 2000s and then kind of dropped off. So, so when they go to try out, I didn't give a fuck about the whole <laughs> indie bit of this, but I found it very interesting watching Cornette like coach them up. I feel like it was very clear to me that Cornette was taking it very seriously. And I thought it was nice that he's like not shitting on these guys dreams and like giving them advice and trying to, so, and even, even Ross, Jim Ross as well, like watching the match and like, okay, let's see what they got. That sort of thing. So unfortunately I can tell you that that was all for the movie. Um, especially the fact that, that Jr. and Vince were actually watching the monitor at the time. That's not a thing that they do unless they're really like, well, in all fairness, JR was not in charge of talent relations at a time where you would have been participating in this. And Cornette was long gone from the company as well. No, no, no. Even back at the time, uh, I, 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 I've seen things about 
this, people discussing the, this part of the movie that would have had this knowledge. Um, they would have done the match. Obviously, some people, like Bruce Pritchard, would have watched it from Gorilla. Um, but otherwise, it would have been basically taped, and Talent Relations would watch it later on. It, it wouldn't have been a thing where they would have been gathered around the monitor to watch. Definitely not Vince. Um, and the Cornette thing, like that's kind of hit or miss. If, if a guy happens to catch what's going on. Yeah. Or, so was this whatever. a house show? No, it was a raw taping. Oh, it was a raw taping. Mm-hmm. Cause I think Cornette now, see, now I can't remember what his role was there. Cause I thought he was running house shows for a while, but now I, now I'm thinking it was Jim Ross was running house shows. So I don't know what his um, role was at this point. He, I know he does he creative, have, but he does other He would have been too. involved. He would have been in creative and on-screen character in 98. He might have been doing commentary I also. wonder if he was heat. producing. Uh, oh, probably. Yeah, seeing um, Pritchard Young is weird, too. You get, like, a couple, I wrote like, down here, a random Bruce Pritchard. Yeah, because this is before like, you- people knew what Bruce looked like. Yeah, right. he was just some dude. What I what also was funny is is Gorilla. What you saw there, him sitting at a table up against the wall, that was Gorilla back in the day. Like it was that, and the curtain would have been right like in front of him. Um, it's not like now where there's that whole big fucking setup that they use. So I just thought that was kind of neat. Um, but yeah, I. I more or less what you saw there is kind of how that kind of stuff goes. Although I also found it weird that all of the roster was contained around in one small area the whole time, like in the background. Yeah. Like, did you, you see that? everyone there? DX. Uh, like it, you see half the roster. Weird. Because. Well, that's why I was wondering if it was a house show. You have an entire building to utilize, unless it was just a very small building, and it's possible it was just a really small arena, because normally you'd have multiple areas to be in, the locker room, catering, general production area, office, like, it just felt weird that everybody was there, and I wonder if that was just because, hey guys, we've got a, a film crew, so make sure you're all here or something, I don't know. Um, that part just seemed a little off. Um, let's oh, one, one more thing from this scene before we move on. Mm-hmm. It's it's a tiny detail, but I loved it. Uh, when Jim Ross introduces himself to the two guys and they shake hands, you can see that they're oh, doing yeah. the workers the shake worker and they shake. like zoom in on it. And I was like, oh, OK, yeah. cool. That would have been groundbreaking for 98. Yeah. Like, why are they shaking hands so daintily? All right, so that moves us into the next major segment, which is Terry Funk. So <laughs> I love how they, they kind of introduce him. It's just him as an old man being woken up out of bed. He's just like, oh. oh. Yeah, it's how, did they, how did they stage that? Like, <laughs> I think it must have been a deal where that he knew they were coming, right? They showed up first thing in the morning, and his daughter's like, okay, I'll go wake him up and and they were like, can we come film with him? You know, can we come follow you? And they're like, she was like, all right. Like he he's, un- he's unfazed. That- he's like, good morning. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah, naked. Morning. <laughs> <laughs> he slides out of bed. He starts getting himself dressed. Um, well, and his and pants it- are right there, by the way, which I found weird too. Like he's are sl- your pants not right there. 
I don't leave my pants on the floor next to my bed. No. Sometimes I do. Depends <laughs> okay, on the situation. Okay, so maybe Depends that's kind of pants. You. Andrew, did you find it odd that he like slid his legs out and then immediately his pulling up pants? Like they're just at the foot of his bed. It's not entirely far-fetched, but I guess that depends on the person. I don't, I've never done that with pants. Because like once I go to once I go to bed for the night, I'm like in some kind of pajamas or like basketball shorts, just depending on like the time of year, if it's cold or hot. It just you know? points to it being really then, wonky, you know? Yeah, it's like I'm, I don't get out of bed and immediately put on pants that I wore the day before. I put on a like I gather clothes from the closet or a dresser and then get or just gather yourself for a second you know like take he immediately is putting pants on maybe well he put a pants immediately because he was just sitting there in his tidy whities so i mean you know you're gonna put your pants on then again he's a wrestler and like whatever they don't care in any case we're introduced to the fact that he's 53 years old He's struggling with uh, his knees primarily, and it's also one of his daughter's wedding uh, coming up. And so, like, the family's getting ready, and all the girls are talking about the fact that I think daddy's going to do it. I think he's finally going to retire. And then they show him going to the doctor, and the orthopedic surgeon's like, dude, I don't know how you're physically moving. And he's like, "Eh, there's a lot of pain. No, man, you shouldn't be able to walk right now. I don't know how this is happening. Well, what's what's my quality of life if we just don't do anything? Severe pain for the next 30 years. Oh, you know, I love the part where he was like, so like, you know, at what point do I need to like cut this out before I get chronic pain? And the doctor's like, you should already have that. Yeah, he's (laughs) He's like, you shouldn't be able to walk right now. (laughs) It was so good. God, they don't make him like terry funk anymore Uh -uh. i I think that's what makes today so sad is like that breed of wrestlers he you just don't have insight into those guys like you get right here you know terry was a bridge from the guys in the 50s and 60s to the guys of the 70s and 80s into the modern era he was definitely a bridge from that and and those guys are you know far and few between at this point. Uh, but so yeah, we go through a whole bunch of, of Terry's day. Um, I also wrote down young Dave Meltzer. There is a clip of Dave. Yeah, I put talking, that down too. Because he was extremely young looking. I was like, what yeah. the fuck? Yeah, it it Dave Mel- he looked younger than anyone else in the documentary. Like his face I thought he was like twenty five. I was like, "What?" But he wasn't twenty five. Yeah. Like he was no, already he was like, like a 40. grown man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so it weird. weird. Um, yeah. So, oh, so Terry uh, does the thing where he announces that he's going to retire, or no, that's a little bit later, I believe. Well, I guess let's just cover all the Terry stuff, right? And then we'll kind of move on. I think it's going to be easier than doing fully chronological at this point. Yeah. I, I was going to say that they, they talk about Terry um, and they show some clips. So I think this happens before he announces his retirement, just because everything is kind of cut up. They, in, they intercut back and forth with all the different stories that are happening. 
Um, one right. of the things that I want to point out is they show a clip of him doing a moonsault off a ladder and he almost <laughs> fucking breaks his neck and dies like in the yeah. clip that they take. It is such a scary moonsault. It, it was Every multiple. time I see it, I'm like, wow, they almost filmed him dying like right there. <laughs> Unless it was the same moonsault and they kept showing it because later on when they do the ECW pay-per-view, he does a moonsault. It's fr- it, was the, it was the well. ECW one, I believe. Okay. So okay. The- so that does happen later on in the... I don't know at what point in his story that. that no, is why they we're just show gonna, I just him moonsaulting like, multiple fuck. times. It's going to make more, make more <laughs> sense for us to just cover all of the Terry Funk stuff now instead of trying to chronologically put it all together because we're never going to really figure it out. Um, so the biggest thing with the Terry storyline is that they're going to do Terry Funk's retirement show. Um, which the movie didn't cover it, but do you know who the promoter of that show was? ECW actually was the promoter for the show, um, which also explains a lot about uh, the person we're about to start talking about. Um, so they're doing this thing, and they're going to do it at the fairgrounds in Amarillo, in his hometown. Great, awesome, and. His good old buddy, Dennis Stamp, isn't booked. And Terry's like, I want you to come down to the show. And Dennis is like, I can't. I'm not I'm not booked. I'm not booked, Terry. They didn't ask me. Well, you should just come on by. It'll be great. And he's like, I, and I don't know why he's so incessant on, well, I wasn't booked. I can't be there. It's that carny mentality. He wants a page. But it's. I sure, think he wants but, to get booked. That's what it is. Was he just trying to make Terry feel bad? I to think get him so. Booked? It was so uncomfortable to watch. Because dude. nobody... It, it's one of the funniest things that happens in the entire yeah. movie. I will tell you, nobody in the wrestling industry has ever said, oh, I'm not going to go to a show that's nearby because I'm not booked. People go to shows all the fucking Punk time showed and show up, up when at they're a not WWE wanted. show. Yes. Under contract with AEW. People show up at indie shows all the fucking time who aren't booked. That's just what happens. Sometimes they're there. Yeah, I can to respect. Get and sometimes I can respect they're just that there to hang out. His rule, like maybe. Because he sort of alludes to. I, I guess maybe he doesn't even allude to it. He just straight up says it. But he, he straight up says off, it's his rule. Where it, it's like when he. Well, he says that it's his rule, but like his justification is that he remembers like the old guys backstage that like had no business being there, like making everybody feel like uncomfortable or whatever. Like he sort but, of okay, alludes but to that and gets cut off. So I can sort of see why he, he like doesn't want to be like that. However, just don't just get a buy a ticket ticket and sit down and watch it <laughs> you don't have well, to go backstage and shake hands with everybody and be a fucking asshole about it you also it's a retirement show maybe make an exception he's not just asking right. you to like show it, up it's to obviously he's doing not, on saturday right like, it's obviously not about him but he like just wants to get booked he makes it about him well, yeah. okay so here's what's Classic dumb about his point wrestler. about oh the old guys that are around looking to get booked but if you're not looking to get booked, if you just want to show up to, hey guys, good to see everybody. I'm here to watch Terry and give him a hug. You can do that. You don't have to be the sad old guy who's there looking to get booked. Like you're only the sad old guy who's there looking to get booked if you want to be the sad old guy who's there looking to get booked. So 
anyway, Terry relents and and lets him. Well, he offers the chance for him to to ref his match, and he's just like, "Oh, I can't do that, Terry." And Terry's like, "What the fuck, schmuck? This is what you wanted." But he and literally so was saying, "Like, I asked to ref." It made yeah, no sense. It, yeah, they told him no. Well, because ECW didn't know who the fuck Dennis Stamp was, probably. Yeah, where is Dennis he was Stamp a, now? He was a journeyman independent wrestler in the Texas area. So, like, they probably well, had non-independent low- wrestler territory territory wrestler good point it's different he wasn't an um, outlaw man but he probably had no recognition to anyone in ecw that would but honestly tommy dreamer probably put the thing together because he was booking shows back then one of my favorite parts and i had to go do some research on this dennis says you know they have the, the cutaway of him being interviewed separately. And he's talking about how, you know, he's mad that he's not having the match against Dory Funk because I could have the best match to Dory Funk way better than the guy that they've got him booked with. And I was like, Hmm, who is he booked with? I went and looked it up. <laughs> who do you think Dennis stamp thinks he's better than Chris Benoit? Nope. Eddie. Remember who promoted the show? Tommy Dreamer? Nope. RV Rob Van Dam. Rob Van Dam. <laughs> Fuck you, Dennis Stamp. I could guarantee you RVD had a way better match with Dory Funk than you would have at that point in time. And Dory Funk, yeah, by wild. the way, if Terry's 53, Dory's Dory got to be pushing 60. 60. Yeah. Insanity. The fuck? Yeah, they had like an eight. Him and RVD had like an eight or 10 minute match. Yeah, Dory Funk so. today is 82, by the way. And kicking, apparently. Um, can, before we move on from Dennis Stamp, can we talk about how he talks about how he's trying, like he's stay, he stays in shape because he never knows when he's going to get a call. <laughs> just cuts to him like on a trampoline, <laughs> like in his underpants, like <laughs> holding like maybe Little, like, two at pound most 15 yeah, at most it's like ten or fifteen pounds. They're probably five I don't know. Maybe maybe that is like pretty heavy cardio. I just don't. I don't. I can't conceive of that being a workout. And also, he's not in shape. At he's all. not even in shape. So it's like, what? <laughs> I just want to know how the documentary like found this guy. Like, I'm sure he sought them out when he saw the cameras around. But oh, it's just I'm like, sure. why they, is this? Clearly, they, I, they must have gone to the venue where they were setting up, and that dude was just lurking there. <laughs> like, hey, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're filming a documentary about Terry Funk. Oh yeah, huh? And, and then the whole I, I'm Terry. not book thing comes up, and they're like, "Oh, this is fucking crazy. We have to get more of this guy." Yeah, <laughs> it's one of the most memorable parts of that movie is the Dennis Stamp stuff. I mean, look, I get it. Some of it, the whole be- making sure you're always ready because you never know when the phone's going to ring. I get that. Like, I wasn't ready when the phone rang last year, and I regret that. So, eh, kind of get it. Um, okay, so the next... So, so as far as Terry goes, I mean, basically the next time we revisit it later on the, sh- the movie is that they have the show and everything is good. Um and then you find out that Terry actually did not retire and he wrestles like three months later. And he continued to wrestle till like 2017. So, you know, 
I mean, famously, he signed a multi-year contract with WCW in like 99. So, or 98, 98, 99. So, you know, that happened. Um, yeah, and it's it's not like um, he got away from doing it in like really crazy shit too. I mean, I guess he probably wasn't doing it every week, but he was the he hardcore like famously is WCW. On, uh, he's on the second ECW one night stand, and like he gets thrown into like a bed of fucking barbed wire, <laughs> and they had to like cut him out with pliers. You remember that match? And that was yes. like oh my god, almost ten about years that. after this. Yeah. Oh my god, I forgot about that. I mean, was, he did what he loved. He made it to fucking seventy nine. So good on him, you know. So then we moved on to New Jack. Um, then we find out that New Jack has five justifiable homicides. He's also missing some knuckles on his hands, and he's best buddies now with the director. And so the director flies him out to L.A. to get him a uh, audition for Hollywood. And you see the most stereotypical 90s Hollywood executive types you would ever see. And they do the screen test with him and whatever. And they talk about him and the guy is like, oh, yeah, he could he, he could totally be a leading man. He's got sex appeal and this and that. And the girl's like. Uh, I mean, he could be Denzel's buddy, but he's not Denzel. <laughs> it's like, okay, in what universe it's would New, New Jack, Jack ever be? <laughs> in what universe would he ever be Denzel's buddy? Like, in a movie. Like, I just don't... There's one role New Jack could play, and you're right. He, it'd be New Jack, right? Like, Yeah. it. I mean, he could have been in because, The Wire, I guess. Maybe. But here's the problem with New Jack. If he didn't like the script or he didn't like who he was working with, that would have been it. Like, he would have yeah, walked out. he kill someone, justifiably, kill somebody. <laughs> right. So that would not have gone well. Isn't it crazy? Because we're I, starting I, to get a little bit deeper into this now. The sheer amount of dead people in this documentary. I mean, that's 24 years old. But it's I like mean, people who are, you know. It's not even just old people. Sure. Well, wrestling. I I gotta say on the the New Jack thing, like you only ever hear about all the craziest shit New Jack did, but in I mean he seems so incredibly violent and scary, and you only hear violent and scary shit about him. But he also got booked for like every major promotion except WWE in his time. So it just makes you think like he must have been fairly professional most or WCW. of the time. He didn't get outside of, but like outside of the incidents you hear about, like I just like I don't know why you would do business with somebody like that if he was really off the rails one hundred percent of all of the time. He's over. I don't know. It's the number one rule in wrestling how, business. Like how over could he have possibly been that it would uh, compel you to want to do business with him if he's okay. as bad as everybody says. So, look, the way the wrestling business works, it's not the wrestling friendship, it's the wrestling business. If you're good, if you're good enough to draw money, you'll get booked, right? As long as you haven't done something thoroughly worth canceling you, like a Chris Benoit or a Joey or like Ryan. five justifiable homicides. 
justifiable. They were justifiable. I mean, look, no further than this documentary, Jake the Snake is getting booked and he's demanding crack. Why are they booking him? Because he draws money. Yeah, exactly. And that's the same thing with New Jack. And New Jack was incredibly over at this time. 1998? Holy shit, New Jack was incredibly over. So it doesn't surprise me that, you know... it makes sense why people would put up with what bits of unprofessionalism there might be from him because it was worth it for the money. That's my point is I think it must really just only be like just bits. Like there's events that occurred that were bad and that's what we always hear about. But he probably was fairly professional most of the time. Yeah. If you're that off the fucking walls, I just can't imagine anybody would have done business with him. You I don't care how booked. over he is. If it was like every fucking night he's like stabbing a guy. Like I just yeah, no. you're not gonna have a job. Then you'd be Enzo Amore'd and you wouldn't get booked anywhere. Um no, New Jack I think was professional enough to get his bookings, but you know, every now and then <laughs> shit happens. Um so, let, yeah, let's touch on Jake the Snake. So, one of the major storylines in the movie is Jake the Snake. Um, so, you see him. He's booked at a show in North Platte, Nebraska. And I wrote down the fucking Nebraska hillbillies. There's some choice people that were in the crowd for this show. You have this dude who's got, like, a fucking Tasmanian devil shirt on. And he's just like... I like his style. I like his snakes. And he's got like a mullet. And then you've got like his, I assume his 12 year old daughter or some random 12 year old girl. And she's like, I like Jake. I'd do anything for Jake. And that, that gets scary. Um, And so they bring in Jake and then they, Oh, they talk to the promoter and the promoter's like, yeah, you know, we gave Jake his retainer. And then like two days before the show, we called us to tell him that he wouldn't come. Uh, if we didn't get him crack. My question is, in, in my time when I was, you know, involved in indie wrestling, I don't know that we ever had a person reach out and go, hey, I'm not coming in now unless you get me some crack. And if they did do that, I don't know that we would have known where to go to get that. So... You know, that's a thing. I mean, in indie fed in the 90s, you just be like, hey, does anybody know a guy for crack? And I'm sure somebody would have been like, yeah, I got a guy for that. That's true. Yeah. I have to forget that there's the time at the time uh, might have been more easily obtainable. Um, and so then they bring in Jake and you see him and they and they they really hone in on the whole you know, back in the day, he was performing in front of 80,000 people at the Silver Dome, and now look at him. I was fat and out of shape, and he's clearly cracked out, and he's performing in front of 100 people, and they don't have teeth, and all that kind of shit, right? There's a lot oh, of yeah, that. Also, Kim, back to the crack thing, they were in Nebraska. <laughs> yeah. I can't think of a better place to get crack outside of maybe Kentucky. <laughs> like, wow. That just seems like a really good place and to you're, get crack. So you're mistaken. That's a good place to get meth. Crack is going to be easier yeah. to get in like Baltimore, Virginia, that area. Wow. You get the further no, west you see, go, the I more like methy it, it's going to get. Really? See, I thought meth was more south, like Texas, Alabama, 
maybe Arkansas, but not too much. Yeah, north the Midwest is sort of the same as the South. Okay, interesting. When it comes to like poor white people drugs, look, Jake can do crack or meth. I'm sure he did both. I'm sure he did them. At I'm the sure same he time. would have been fine with either. Like, I don't think it was the crack specifically. It's more so that conceptually, <laughs> I, I need hard drugs and I need the cheap ones. Yeah, I mean, Good in Lord. the I have the Wikipedia up just so I can keep track of like the order and like, you know, all the events that occur. And it says here <laughs> that Jake is a crack cocaine addict. And I'm just like, yeah, probably among other things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Including, but not it's like that's just to. what he wanted that day, <laughs> right? It's like no offense so, to Jake, but he's probably dealing with a lot of other things. So the part about the Jake thing that really stuck out to me is they talked about you know WrestleMania and whatever, and and then I started to do the math. He just got off his second WWE run less than two years ago at this stage. Like the match with Stone Cold was in '96. So we're less than two years out from that. He's only 11 years out from WrestleMania 3. That's like from today, going back to like WrestleMania in New Jersey, the first one. Like, like uh, Rock Cena twice in a lifetime. Like, that's not that long ago. So like, the fall that he had is so fucking nuts. Right, because he was main eventing SummerSlams and WrestleManias into the the early '90s, yeah, and we're only in the tail end of the '90s here. Well, and how like, old holy would you shit. guess Jake is here? <sighs> Just gut. Don't don't do the without math, without Matt making a forty-seven. But I know that's wrong. Yeah, so Jake is. Oh, he's forty-four. Okay, older oh. than I would have thought. He looks every bit of it, but yes. Know. Okay. I, if you would have told me he was 37, I would have been like, okay, yeah, crack. Yeah, you know? that, that's what I was thinking. God damn. Well, the other thing, too, not not even just WrestleMania 3, but he's only like, this is only like two years after Austin 316. Right. He was like on I'm WWE saying. TV. And he was in good shape then. So like, holy shit, dude. You went downhill. Well, and he's like munching on like Jack in the Box before the match, too, which I found very is. off-putting. It's like you can't wait till What's after the match to have Jack that. in the Box. Jack in the Box came up multiple times in this movie, by the way. Yeah, because the fucking Roland Alexander's telling some newbies, he's like, yeah, don't do that. And then just because he's fucking Robert. <laughs> it's just funny it. that Roland's like, you guys uh laying off the fatty foods. <sighs> <And he's laughs> like you can barely fucking breathe. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny is. <laughs> Whenever we would, whenever somebody new would come to to MPX to to want to train, we never had conversations with them in the initial consultation to be like, "Hey, make sure you watch what you eat." Like, no, we assume if you're coming in to do this and you're serious about it, that's on you to take care of your body physically. Like, we'll teach you what to do. Well, like that's on you, man. Like, what a weird thing. But <laughs> it was just weird. Um, okay, so the Jake thing, so going back to the Nebraska hillbillies, 
So there's the part where they bring in that girl from earlier into the ring and he puts the snake on her and whatever. Right. And she's all happy and excited. And then they cut to Jake in his hotel room with his pants half off. And he's like, yeah, I just made that girl's year. You know, a town like this, I, I could marry that girl and be like mayor of the town. They'd give me whatever I want. And I'm like, holy shit, Jake, what the fuck, dude? Like, I yeah, get no, your like point, it was the late like, 90s, not like the fucking 40s. <laughs> yeah, like, let's let's not do that, Jake. I really wish that out of all the things, they would have just cut that out of the, yeah. the like. He was he's clearly spewing like a lot of crazy fucking nonsense. Maybe that one was a bridge too far. It, it's so much easier, though, to talk about this and joke about this, knowing where Jake is now. Like, right. I would not have felt comfortable even discussing it if he had just like passed away or, you know, he was just still like very problematic. But right. it it's does make it Jake so never... much easier to know that the one thing that they can't go back and edit into the documentary is like, hey, he does make it out of that. Right. Um, and then they show the stuff with him and his dad, which that's some sad shit. Um, and they don't go into full detail about the stuff with his dad, um, but Dark Side of the Ring does, so we all kind of know how much no, a I piece of shit straight up, Grizzly Smith he, is. He directly says it the most important detail of that relationship he, he that does don't have to it's beyond me that he never went to prison for that like nobody even I, and then yeah. after but maybe because nobody really knew or it wasn't publicized because it was way way back in the day where you maybe could have kept that under wraps but then it's highly publicized in this movie and still nothing ever happened to that guy but not even just for that one the, all the things that we found out in dark side of the ring all the things, because it, it wasn't just that the, the thing with Jake and his mom. It was the whole thing. I don't. Yeah, know. That's I, I don't understand. Thing. I don't wanna... the, it's so beyond. Like I can't even imagine it. It makes no yeah. sense. But so they touch upon that, and then they have the thing with his daughter, and they bring in his daughter, which is funny because I don't think I've heard anything about her since this movie. Like I have no idea if the two of them ever like fully reconciled or. I don't know. Um, yeah, because the when they did thing. the Dark Side of the Ring a couple years ago, they more or less focus on Jake and his siblings, not and his him siblings. and his kids. Yeah, so I don't. They they kind of don't. They don't speak about it, which might mean that he hasn't been able to mend that yet, and they just would rather leave it out. Yeah, but yeah, so that's a lot of the focus of the Jake stuff, and it's some of that's hard to get through. Like that's some depressing shit. Um, but the the last major segment is Mick Foley, which is a much more entertaining segment and a little more upbeat, sort of. Um, you know, they they go into the kind of mixed background and showing a lot of him at home with the kids and with his wife. And it's funny because he only has the two kids at the point that point. Now he's got like five um, or four. I don't remember how many he's got. He's got more of them that are not born yet. <clears throat> and it's funny because he's in the movie. He's actively talking about getting ready to wrap it up and wind it down. And it's like, bro, we know you still wrestle for like another five years after this. And then off and on for another but like he, 10. He, he did kind of retire. He did. Like a, about a year and a half after this. He's not on the road or anything. 
that's true. he's only like okay, that's 33 true. in this yeah and i mean he does not look 33 but to be fair though like he gets to looking like he looks like in his mid 40s here but then he stays looking like he he's stays in his that way until yeah. you know 10 years ago i guess or five years ago very recently it's the only now that he starts looking like he's in his 50s. I, I, and I think it's just like his build and the, and the you know, he kept the, the shaggy long hair and the beard. Because when he cuts right. it, he does 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 look mid-30s. And that would have been when he was in his mid-30s, when he does have the, the shortcut. Um. So, yeah, so this part, there's a lot of showing like him actively being involved in WWE and all that kind of stuff and talking about all the damage that he's been putting his body through. And, um, then they get to the, the Royal rumble. Um, and you, you see backstage like before the match and you see them, you know, doing pre tapes and going over things and you, you, it kind of sets up the vibe of how stuff gets put together Right. And and it sets up the fact that yes, we all trust each other, we work together to make the violence and blah 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 blah. Um and then we get to the whole multiple chair shot thing. It's so hard to wrap your head around this because it's well documented at this point that Foley like had issues with the rock for the chair shot. Like it's not I've never been able to fully understand the story because like now the story is like he didn't agree to that or the rock took it too far, but clearly on camera, it's like everything's okay in the moment here, you know? Well, I mean, Mick's a professional and I'm going to guess that he didn't want to cause a problem in that moment. You don't want to cause a problem in that moment in a film that's not going to be produced by WWE and throw somebody under the bus, you're going to kind of keep that off camera and then talk to him, talk to Vince after I I could see that because he does very casually make a comment that he wants to strangle the rock, but Mick is a really nice guy. So maybe that is him being incredibly angry. (laughs) It's hard to watch. Like you're talking about yeah. getting through the Jake stuff. It was like, fuck, dude. I... Well, and it gets worse because he's got the kids there. And I remember when I was younger and I was watching that, I was like, okay, whatever. As a father now, I recognize how damaging that is. Like, I couldn't imagine willingly putting my kids and my wife in the front row knowing I'm going to do stuff like that. Now, granted, Rock took it further than they were supposed to and whatever. But, like, my kids went to my last show that I did, and the big takeaway I got from that was my little one afterwards being very concerned and coming to me and saying, Daddy, why did you have a mad face on? Right? Just me being a heel and being angry and stuff, and her being concerned that I had a mad face on versus good lord getting hit with what 20 15 unprotected chair shots to the fucking head like ah, good lord yeah and i mean he, he could have died it, it's also the the trauma 
to the fucking skull. I mean, afterwards, he's just got so much blood in the 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 mass growing on his forehead is absurd. No, he could I mean, have died. It, yeah, well, not that, to mention that he's seriously blues. concussed. Yeah, it's a nonsense. miracle that he's like the the most well put together wrestler. Period. In terms of like how he carries himself, how he is as a father and a family man, how he is as a person, because mm-hmm. of all there, he is an anomaly that should not exist. Nobody who does <laughs> the kind of wrestling that he does should have should be the kind of person that he is. And I don't think that there's yeah. like I can't think of anybody else who can like replicate that. I mean, I guess Terry wild. Funk, honestly, by all accounts, is very similar in terms of similar. It's just but, a but lot Mick, less publicized. Mick is a fantastic ambassador to the world of wrestling, right? He's a great like if you needed to show a non-wrestling person what a wrestler is like in real life, you would want to show the Mick. Uh, if you needed to do a news thing and interview a wrestler about some horrible wrestling thing that occurred, you're going to go talk to Mick because Mick's image is such that it's more digestible when he, especially when you're talking about like the kind of shit that's in dark side of the ring, right? They bring Mick in there to kind of softens the blow. Um, the other thing is Mick has a, for all of the damage that he's had and head trauma that he's likely had, he has a fantastic memory. And, uh, you know, of what he's done in the business and just in general, like as a wrestling, like I know we always harp on Jim Cornette's a wrestling historian. So is Mick Foley. And it, it's kind of amazing that somebody who's had as many concussions as he's had <clears throat> is that way, you know? Yeah, both him and The Undertaker are doing these like touring. I don't know if Mick is still doing it now, but he did it for he would. It was sort of like a public like a hybrid speaking, comedy like, show comedy, but like also more like Ted talky also mm-hmm. kind of thing where he talked about Hell in a Cell. They, they did a recording of it. I think it's on the network. That's where I saw it. Um, and it's so well put together. And it's like him and The Undertaker now are both like doing this or have done this. And it's a like it's insane like how they're able to do it given where they (laughs) should be at, at their age and what they've gone through. So I'm glad that they showcase Mick here because there's not a whole lot of draws and outside of those two, nobody else comes across looking like a good person in this. Like they, they don't Well, Terry doesn't look bad. Terry, Terry Funk looks like a good guy but he does look like you're a little worried about him because he's, he's talking about retirement and doing it, but he's way further along, like over a decade older than Mick. Whereas Mick is having that conversation at 33 in this. So it makes it a little bit easier to like swallow it, but like nobody really comes across looking really good. But despite everything you see fully go through, he seems like such a well put together, nice man. And I think that that helps for the image of pro wrestling, like you were saying before, how he's an ambassador for it. I feel like that comes across heavily here. The fact that he's like the most normal person that you encounter. 
Steve Austin seemed pretty nice and normal too backstage. Does he? I know that they show clips of him, but I don't he recall that he vaped even... so hard back then that like it actually is crazy that he was just being a nice guy in this. I do have a one anecdote about Steve Austin. It's when they talk about how Vince is in the like getting in the ring. They show a clip of Austin like do stomping the mud hole on Vince, and either Vince is tough as shit and getting kicked as hard as fucking possible in the chest or stone cold is an unbelievable worker. And I'm going to guess it's a little bit of the two, but those are a little bit of both. fucking brutal. Like you, nobody's doing it like that anymore. I just got to say like, it, it's such a, I don't know where it came from. It's gotta be from one of their matches that they did. Cause Vince is like coming out in like, sort of gear like the the jeans but no shirt like showing off the muscles and then stone cold just starts fucking stomping the shit out of him in the corner that's that's fucking working people people need kick like that all right so i think we've covered all of the different segments and parts of the movie um is there anything else that we wanted to touch on before we kind of wrap up talking about beyond the mat um, I have some fun facts, but I feel like that should wait unless, unless you guys have like things specifically about it, like opinions or anything like that. No, I think I kind of cover all of my points that I had uh, jotted down. All right. So some fun facts about the director. He's got writing credits on like several Eddie Murphy movies. And not necessarily all the good ones, like He's got writing credits on both of the Nutty Professors. Uh, okay. You know, he does have it on Coming to America and its sequel. And uh, Police okay. Academy 2 for some reason. Just also part Boomerang two? with Eddie Murphy. Okay. Yeah, it, it's very interesting. Now, A lot of Eddie Murphy. The, the, the fun... F- oh, also The Honeymooners. He's he's also got a writing credit on that. Like I don't the know, revival I, movie? Uh, from 2005. They did a Honeymooners then? Ew. I don't know. I mean, it's called The Honeymooners 2005. Sure. And uh, I'm going to have to see who's in that. Hold on. It's got Cedric the Entertainer. Gabrielle wow. Union. Mike Epps. I cannot imagine that that set the world on fire. I have no. No. Um, well, hold on. Roger Ebert gave it three out of four stars. <laughs> what? Yeah, but 2005, that was right in the middle of when I was working it in MMB and I was doing, I was stocking the new movies every week. So, like, I would have remembered that and I do not. So, yeah. Anyways, I I bring this up because it's just such a random, like, he's adjacent to Eddie Murphy, this guy. And then also, the one of his only other, um, One of his only other directing credits is the movie The Ringer from 2005. Oh, God. <laughs> if you're not aware, it's <sighs> it's I a I don't think there's anything wrong with this movie. Um, it's the Johnny Knoxville movie where he pretends to have Down syndrome to be in the Special Olympics. Now, that sounds really fucking awful, but I actually appreciate <laughs> the movie a lot because it it shines a light on first off. He looks like a dipshit. It's like the episode of South Park where Cartman does it and ends up looking like a fucking idiot for it. 
So they do a really good job of how they showcase they don't glorify it. And they also, it. No, and they made sure to actually like hire actors with Down syndrome, which is at the time was just unprecedented for any actors in the industry that had Down syndrome to get a role. So mm. while it, the, people don't like to talk about the movie because they think that it just shits on that whole, you know, that whole situation, I would argue that it, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing that it exists. So yeah, other, uh, very, very random thing. I just clicked on this guy's fucking um, Wikipedia. And it's just like, why is he like, it's such a random list of shit he's involved in. Weird. All right. Any other uh, fun facts? No, I think it's time for us to uninvolve ourselves with uh, this recording. All right. Um, please remember to like and follow us on Twitter and Facebook, Such Good Shit Pod. Email us, Such Good Shit Pal at gmail.com. And on whatever podcast listening platform you like to use, please rate us and subscribe um, and leave a review. I'll tell you what, the first person that leaves us a review, because we don't have any yet on iTunes, leave a review and, and email me a screenshot of it. Uh, we'll do something for you. We'll send you something. So that'd be cool. Um, any parting words before we part ways? Matt will send you something. I will do nothing for you. Sure. Just, I mean, yeah, just making sure that we're being clear about that. I have no plans on doing anything for anybody. Yeah, Andrew's not legally committing to any anything. Yeah. Uh, wow, it wasn't like I was going to make each of the three of us mail somebody something individually. Holy shit. No, I just want to make sure I remove myself from any liability here. Okay. I mean, it's yeah, going to come well, from know, the what, show as a yeah. as a entity, but okay. Yeah, the uh, Such Good Shit LLC will uh, provide you with a yeah, you, you, what, No, 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 because no, now you're making, that's one third of my responsibility. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm relinquishing any liability. That's not how LLCs work, Andrew. They shield you. That would also assume they that we were an LLC. Assets. Right. Right, an LLC would purposely keep that away from you. You Look, want an LLC. I'm going to LLC you later. 